Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Secrets of Heritage House. Tell me a story, Aunt Sandy. All right, Blake. What kind of story do you want this time? A scary story. Very well. This is a story called Secrets of Heritage House. Once upon a time, there were three strangers, Isadora, Andrew, and Catherine. My cousins, Izzy, Drew, and Kate. Yes, Blake. And these strangers found out that they weren't such strangers after all. In fact, they were siblings separated as children and secret heirs to the crumbling manor Heritage House just outside desolate Heritage, Nevada. I like this story already. Well, it's about to get even more interesting. Inspired by the daytime soap operas of the 60s and 70s, The Secrets of Heritage House is a supernatural horror drama about three strangers summoned by a mysterious letter to the town of Heritage, an equally mysterious town located in the desolate Great Basin of Nevada. Why were they called to Heritage House Mansion? And what dark secrets are the staff and townspeople protecting enough to commit murder? Co-created and produced by Scott Young and engineered by Joe Bly, The Secrets of Heritage House is a collaboration between radio station KNVC and the Presidium Players, a Carson City theater group, recorded remotely with a cast of over 20 actors. The episodes are broadcast over the radio as well as found in podcast form. The first two episodes introduce us to the siblings, Issy, Drew, and Kate, their aunt, Sandra Herridge, and the other unconventional residents of the manor. Listeners are advised that we do briefly discuss some gruesome events that happen over the course of the story. Why don't we start, have each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do on The Secrets of Herridge House. I'm Scott Young. I am the co-creator of Secrets of Heritage House, and this season, season three, I'm serving as executive producer. The first two seasons, I was supervising producer, solely in charge of working with the writers and developing the long-range story. Our original executive producer left, leaving a huge hole to fill for things like scheduling, working with the actors to you know make sure that they're present during our recording sessions and things like that. So I'm kind of juggling both roles now, but we've been doing this so long that it is actually kind of easy to do. I'm also one of the writers, but I don't take credit for any writing except for the first two episodes and the finale coming up at the end of season three, I'm going to be writing that. The show originated from a conversation with Joe, our technical producer. Joe is the program director for KNVC 95.1 FM in Carson City. He basically runs the radio station. And he says, you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see old-time radio dramas come back. It was kind of his way of hinting, you're the writer. What can you come up with? <laughs> so right. while we're talking, I'm typing away because I had this like flash of an inspiration. And I finished, while we were talking, I finished five pages of a pitch. And I emailed it to him while I had him on the phone. And I said, Joe, check your email, read that real quick, and tell me if this is what you're looking for. And he went nuts with it, wanted to roll with it and everything. 
And then I didn't hear anything from him for two whole months. And then when he called me in July, at the end of July of last year, he said, we want to premiere the day before Halloween. Can you have all the scripts ready? I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't even have any writers yet. <laughs> so. well, let me let Joe jump in here. First of all, Joe, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and then what's your side of this story? Hi, Keith. Thanks for having us on. Uh, my name is Joe Bly. I am the technical director for Secrets of Harwich House, which means behind the scenes, I'm the one taking all the separate tracks. Each show winds up being about uh, 64 to 72 tracks long and turning it into something that actually sounds like a cohesive product instead of a jumble of noise. So I am the program director at KNVC in Carson City, which is a little community radio station. And the program director before me just sort of dropped a bug in my ear. And he said, you know what would be great? Getting some audio dramas produced locally. That stuck with me. And uh, when I was talking to Scott, and I was like, you know what would be great? Some locally produced audio drama. So he sent me the elevator pitch, and then he sent me a little longer pitch. I took that pitch to the local community theater group in Carson City, and that's Proscenium Players. They you know, were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We're not going to have to spend any money on it, are we? And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys are so funny. Being in the middle of the pandemic, I mean, I've done radio dramas with proscenium players before, and you just gather the entire cast in the radio. They all stand around the microphone, just like the Mercury Radio Theater back in Orson Welles days. But it's the pandemic. The station right. is closed to outside people. So we opted to have everybody be at their homes recording, which, you know, as someone who records guests remotely, I'm sure you can appreciate the difficulty oh, yeah. because room reverbs are different. Some people are like, oh, yeah, I'm just talking over my phone. And then another guest is like, why, yes, I'm using a Neumann U87 with a you know Apollo interface. And so you get one guest sounding beautiful and the other guest sounding like, well, they're on the phone. Well, you've got a cast of over 20 people, I think, for the first season yes. and more for the second. Trying to juggle all the different parameters to make it sound like it's all in the same place. That must be daunting, uh, to say the least. To say the least, post is interesting. But after 26 episodes in the can, I've got everything lined up. So I just kind of like, like a sausage maker, I kind of <laughs> shove all the tracks into one end of the uh, post-production. And then, you know, it runs through all the processes and kind of spits out the other side. There were actors that we had had to purchase, in essence, podcasting kits. Mm -hmm. And we have about eight actors using this AT2005, and they sound great. Scott, you have a background in, you're a screenwriter, is that right? My background goes back to college, film, television, and radio production. I worked and lived in Los Angeles for nearly 16 years. I worked for several different production companies. Um, I think the one company I worked for that was the most influential to me as a creative person was Lorimar Television. They hit the scene in the 70s with the Waltons <laughs> and then proceeded to create the giants like Dallas and Knott's Landing and Falcon Crest. That's where my love of primetime soap operas and 
long-range storytelling came from. So, of course, the first thing I wanted to do when Joe mentioned wanting to do a radio drama is, I want to do a soap opera. <laughs> I want cliffhangers. Right. I want music stabs. I want drama. But then I thought, you know, I, I hadn't even researched the market. I didn't even know it was out there. But I thought, you know, horror is big. Sci-fi is sort of big. That flash of inspiration I had when we were talking on the phone, I flashed right back to Dark Shadows, the mm-hmm. 1960s um, horror daytime TV soap opera. Right. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do something for Joe and send it to him and present it to him, I'm going to do something that has that feel of that show. So, Joe, have you always been in radio? No, I was brought up in theater. Both my parents were um, dealing with Broadway and off-Broadway. And so I was brought up in performance. Uh, I have a uh, degree in stage design, specializing in lighting and sound. And then I became a paramedic up until 12, 15 years ago. Then I got involved with the proscenium players as an actor and a director. And at the same time, I got involved in the local community radio station and just basically fell in love with the whole concept of how to present an entire world strictly using audio, just audio. And when Orson Welles did that back in the 30s with War of the Worlds, it was just a couple of microphones, a group of actors, and a guy in the corner doing Foley work. And that idea just kind of blossomed into this whole concept of, I would love to get local radio drama onto the radio station. In the face of a pandemic, we have actors all the way from like Norfolk, Virginia, San Diego, and all across the map, Chicago, Kansas City, um, up in Oregon. We've been able to create this acting company from across the country. I totally get the impulse to want to do old-time radio, especially with the pandemic on and finding ways to do that. I guess my question then is, why would you attempt to do a cast of 20-something people for this outing? What was your thought process there? That's my fault. (laughs) That's actually my fault. It comes from working on shows like Falcon Crest. I mean, you have one or two people who are your central star, who are the show was built around them. But then the show evolves into an ensemble where you've got an order from the network for 26 one-hour episodes for the season, and you have to have a crew of writers that are going to fill those 26 hours with storylines. That all evolved with me, I'm afraid. I think it's certainly ambitious. Um, you know, most of the scenes are limited to only, I think, three or four people at the most. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes a little more easy to manage sort of on a scene-by-scene basis. It does. Uh, yeah. And that, and that falls into the hands of the writers as they're developing the storylines. They know that we cannot support these large scenes where we have you know, 10 people in the scene, it just becomes a technical production nightmare to do that. Right. Now, we we do have scenes throughout the first 26 episodes, and we also have one major one coming up in episode 32, where we do have seven or eight people in the scene. Mostly, my my writers have been really good on this show. In the theater, the technical people are separated from the writers. The writers produce the script, the directors and designers produce their vision, and then the technical people have to realize that vision. This is a little unusual in that as the technical director and as the editor and the Foley guy and the sound effect creator, I actually have direct communication with the writers because I'm thinking always in terms of soundstage. Where does the actor fit? you got to tell me what is the actor wearing? 
What mm-hmm. kind of fabric is it? Mm-hmm. And just the last recording we did, it's like, you need to tell me what kind of shoes they're wearing. Right, right, right. Um, mm-hmm. Because this is all crucial. I took a shotgun mic and a uh, boom, and I just followed my wife around the house. And it's like, okay, I want you to walk on carpet. Okay, I want you to put on flats with hard heels. Okay, I want you to wear high heels. And she was just rolling her eyes and walking <laughs> around the house. Okay, let's go outside and walk on the gravel. Every one of these actors has a signature sound. I love when Joe asks these questions, too. We had, in season one, we had a scene with two of the characters standing at a window, looking down at the driveway and talking. And they slide the window shut at the end, and Joe was like, what kind of windows are they? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Windows, they slide. That's all I know. The first couple of episodes... I mean, and Keith and your listeners, when they're listening to the first couple of episodes, you're like, oh, yeah, that audio doesn't exactly match. Sounds like two people using two different microphones. And meanwhile, I'm listening to that going, oh, this sounds awful. And so (laughs) as you listen further and further into the production, every week we're sending another microphone out. It's like, please use this microphone until you hear an improvement in the quality. Um, Hello. Isadora Marie Braddock, date of birth, November 14th, 1987, the adopted daughter of Mark and Clarice Braddock. Who are you? Helen Riley, private investigator. I've been hired by your family to deliver- If my family needs to get a hold of me, they have my phone number. Your real family, Miss Braddock, not the family who adopted you. Oh, my. Issy, here, sit down. My real family is all dead, Miss- Riley, no, they're not. A recent death has made it imperative that you receive these documents. Recent death? Who? Your birth mother. I am so sorry. Now, if you'll excuse me. Wait, you can't I'm sorry, Miss Braddock. I'm not at liberty to discuss this any further. I was hired to simply deliver those documents, which I have done. Good luck. So, Scott, you said that you were inspired by Dark Shadows. She wanted to do something in the horror genre. Is there something about this particular story of Heritage House that you wanted to tell now? When I laid it out on paper for Joe that first time, that, that pitch that I sent to him, I basically just gave him the setup. It was about three people who were adopted and didn't know that they were related to each other, who mysteriously receive a summons to come to the family home that they never knew existed. The whole origins, the beginning of the show was about them coming to Heritage, Nevada and coming to Heritage House and learning about their pasts. Oh, now what? What do they want? Can I help you folks? Did I do something wrong, officer? I'm pretty sure I wasn't speeding. Mind if I ask what you're doing out here? We're here on family business. I know all the families around these parts. You don't belong to any of them. We're going to Heritage House? Do you know the Heritages? I, I see. Donna, it's Ben. Listen, call Miss Sandra and tell her two of them are here. I got them stopped just outside of town. Why can't you call her, Ben? She- just call her, okay? Out. Officer, Now listen what are- up. You drive straight through town. Don't stop nowhere. When you pass the market, you take the first left, and it'll take you right to where you're going. But... Go on. Get moving. They're expecting you. It's not too late to turn around and leave.
Um, I've always had a fascination with genealogy, so of course that spoke to me right there. Two of our three main characters are twins, fraternal twins. Just to recap for our listeners, there's three uh, siblings who were adopted. There's Issy, Drew, and Kate. Correct. And Drew and Kate are twins, right? Mm -hmm. And they're the two youngest. The two youngest. Okay. And so they were all, um, their mother is uh, referred to, she's she's dead. Uh, At least we, that's what we're Uh, told. Amelia is their mother. There were, okay, there were three sisters who married Josiah Harridge's three sons. And the three sisters became Harridge wives. We've played on the power of three from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So there's the three siblings. There's the three sisters that married the three brothers. That three pops up all through the series, and it's continuing into season three. <laughs> season there three. you go. Right. There we go. And let's see, the, there's one of the Harridges is still living in the house, and that's Sandra. Their aunt, who right. is their, their mother's, their deceased mother's sister. And then we have Blake, who is very creepy sounding. Part of me is going, there's something up with that kid. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there is a mysterious crying baby. Blake's sister, Emmeline. Why don't you let the gardener do the pruning? Blake! Damn it, Blake. I've told you countless times to not sneak up on people like that. Especially me. Sorry, Aunt Sandy. We had to let the gardener go, remember? No. Where's your sister? Sleeping. Do you think those people are going to come here? I don't know. I hope not. For their sake. For everyone's sake. You said their family. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens, won't we? You'd better see to your sister, Blake, before this entire house hears her. Yes, Aunt Sandy. Blake and Emmeline are the cousins of the three siblings. Are we allowed to do spoilers? Yes, if you want to. Yeah, go ahead. At this point, the show's been on long enough. Blake is a ghost, and so is Emmeline. They were murdered by their grandfather, Josiah Harridge, who we hear about all through the first season. One of the things that John and I as creators did is we wanted, first of all, we wanted homages to some of our favorite horror movies and television series and stories. I mean, just the title alone, Secrets of Harridge House. Harridge was a family name of characters in Dark Shadows. Oh, God. There was, okay, yeah. there was Daphne Harridge, who was played by Kate Jackson. It was her first professional acting gig. In the first two episodes, if you listen to the PA system in the Reno airport in the second episode, where it's talking about Flight 627 or Flight 1966, Dark Shadows premiered on June 27, 1966 Very good. Uh, on ABC. So there's all kinds of little hints and things that we've put into the show. Um, so Blake is is a ghost, and we don't fully reveal that until the sixth episode of the series when Issy finds his skeleton in the basement. And it's it's a wonderful game of hide-and-seek that they play through the whole episode. And at the very end, when she screams and goes, what is this? A skeleton? And he pops up and goes, you found me! <laughs> so, But the thing with Emmeline is that she was an infant when she died, and she was in teething. So as a ghost, she is forever teething which is why she is always crying. Clearly, I think you guys are having a lot of fun with we the are. storytelling here, right? Leaning into that it's slightly campy, but also in a fun way, right? Spooky homage to these soaps or serials uh, of mm-hmm. the day. Yeah. But we also wanted to be 
kind of edgy with it too. I mean, within the first ten minutes of of the first episode, Hel- Helen Riley's on the phone and and pulls a gun and shoots herself. Right, that was a big moment. One of the difficult episodes was um, the episode that Blake. Our, our young actor, Asher Huang, he's the constant narrator through the whole episode. And he's telling the story of how he and Emmeline died and how their mother died. And it's pretty gruesome because their mother is always complaining. Her ghost is always complaining about splitting headaches. Well, in that episode, we discover that Josiah split her head open with an axe. And that's, why she's, that's why she's got splitting headaches all the time. Again, a little bit of dark humor there. <laughs> You guys said that you you started with struggling a bit with the beginning and getting everyone up to speed from the technical standpoint. And there's a learning process, and which I think is true, like you said, for almost every audio drama. I know it was certainly true for me. I'm curious as to what other struggles you have, maybe creatively as well as technically. Well, my biggest struggle is when Cody or Dee or Gene or one of them hands me a script and I'm reading it and I'm going, ooh, this is really good. But wait a minute. We can't do that in audio. We need video for this. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> now, how are we going to fix this? How do you measure success in your work? I'm real simple on that. Somebody tells me they listened to the show and they liked it. For me, that's a success. The fact that we actually, you know, Friday night, I tune in to listen to the show, or Sunday night, I tune in to listen to the show, and it's a finished product. For me, that's an accomplishment. I, I'm at a point in my life, I don't need billions of dollars. Yeah, I, could, I mean, it would be nice to have, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I have my sights set on a, a house on the hill, you know, overlooking the valley and things like that. But I've gotten comments just recently from people who have said, hey, I just binged the whole first two seasons and I loved it. That to me right there is validation. And I'm exactly the same way. It's it's like when you get somebody, a radio listener, and I'll get an email from someone saying, hey, I just listened to Secrets of Harwich House. You produce this locally? Holy <laughs> mackerel. And it's like, why, yes, we do. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's validation as well. Do you have any specific advice for people who want to get into producing audio drama? Do it. Do it. Do it. I mean, I mean, literally. Don't, don't sit there and go, I don't know what I'm doing. Just sit down and do it. One of the funniest stories I could tell you in that regard is last year when Joe called me at the end of July and said, they want to premiere the show right before Halloween. And I'm sitting there. I don't have long-range story. I don't have scripts. I don't have writers. I don't have anything. I mean, I literally cranked episodes one and two out in script format, barely within a week, so that we could at least start casting. And then I started pounding out some long-range ideas. And then I called John Adams and I said, look, work with me on this and we'll take co-created by credit on it. And so he helped mapping out the long-range story and things like that. Um, I had never written in script format for radio. I had no idea what a radio script looked like. So the first thing I did was found Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy from the BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I found somebody who had a copy of the Star Wars radio drama that was done back in the late 70s. Fun. And I said, I don't need the whole thing. Just send me like the script for one episode. Just let me look at it and see what it, how it's put together. Yeah, and I think the other piece of advice is um, if you're going to create an audio drama or do something like we're doing, put your ego outside the door and leave it out there. Yeah. You know, you may not be the best writer in the world, and if you're not, partner with a writer who knows what they're doing and can tell a story. You start with a great concept. That's beautiful. Yes, because everything has to start off with the initial concept. But then you need to start, like Scott said, you need 
a person who knows story? How do you do mm -hmm. individual arcs within each episode? And how does that play into a full-on season story arc? And then mm -hmm. if you have multiple seasons, you got to have the big story arc over all the seasons. Yeah. yeah, all that needs to be planned out. That's about the best advice I can give. Yeah, it, it starts with the story. And I've been, I, I'll say I've been blessed with Heritage House because first, the writers are all people I know. And they're all experienced writers. They all have published credits. They have produced credits on television and film. One of our writers is an award-winning Horror Writers of America member. And she's just having a ball doing it too. Tell me what's next for you guys. Well, season three is in production now, and January 2nd is our premiere date. We're doing a big season this season. We're doing 16 weeks, so 16 episodes. We're talking, we don't have a title for it yet, but we're talking about a, a radio theater type format. So we would open it up to original material, so somebody could bring a proposal to us and say, hey, I got this great idea for a one-shot storyline, pitch it to us and all that and see how it sounds. And then also do some of the classics that are in the public domain, like H.P. Lovecraft mm -hmm. or Bram Stoker or Edgar Allan Poe or Shakespeare, even, to get away from horror. I mean, it doesn't. It could be multi-genre. We have the talent here locally in northern Nevada to be able to just pull it together. Joe, you have anything you want to add? Keeping audio drama going at KNVC it is the long-term goal as well, because I think it exemplifies the whole idea of community radio and community theater. I will say this has been, I don't want to say difficult, but it is definitely taxing. But I'm very proud as a result because we're surmounting these difficulties and coming out with a product that I am very proud of. And I think we can continue that after Harridge House ends and we start going into other projects. Joe hit on something that's very important also, and it was very important to the three of us. And I say three of us. The original team was Joe, myself, and our first executive producer, Jeff Bassa. What happened with him was as COVID started easing up and we were moving from season two into season three, he was given the opportunity to be on the board of directors for a theater group here locally. So he he had to literally tear himself away from Heritage House to go do what he really loves to do. So I can't fault him for that. Nobody right. can sure. fault him for that. Sure. But the three of us, all in those very early days, we all agreed nothing is going to go on the radio unless we are happy with it, unless we believe in it, unless we think we've done the best we can and that the quality is there. You have to be brutal in your self-assessment. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You can't settle for, eh, it'll do. Or you have to have a team of people around you who will be brutal on you for it. And you can't take it personally and you can't storm off going, well, screw you guys. Right. <laughs> you, you, need, you need reliable feedback from people that will, yeah. will, will tell you what you need to hear. You need to be prepared when you're starting off in radio drama. Be prepared to do it again. Listen to your result mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the stuff that you dreamed up after three glasses of wine the night before, you, you record it and then you listen in the morning and you're like, oh, boy, so, oh, boy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you got a good idea. If you get a good idea, flesh it out. But yeah. you need somebody skilled with storyline and arcs and then don't hesitate to redo it technically until you listen to it. You're like... Yeah, that sounds like my favorite podcast. <laughs> Dear Sister Amelia.
What have you done to this family? Why bring your children back? What were you thinking? What possible good can come from all of this? <laughs> Don't worry, sister. We'll play this game just the way you planned it to be played, even if it destroys what's left of us. Heritage House is ambitious in both its aims and size. Assembling a large team of actors, writers, and directors in a pandemic is no small feat. But the hard work pays off. The melodrama and horror elements combine for a spooky good time, and fans of classic TV soaps will enjoy the mood it sets. But more than this, the show demonstrates that community-produced radio theater is alive and well, even if some of the residents of Heritage House aren't. You can find The Secrets of Heritage House on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for links to their website. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.